0: morning. How are you? Good to see you. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, earlier in the status update, we talked about the water baptism that is today. It's not supposed to rain until maybe later on in you know, the evening, so it should be pretty good weather. Uh, it said 69th. It's actually at 65th. So just find a place somewhere. If you want to come and support, uh, find a place somewhere around, park, go on out. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you want to get baptized, there is a sign up. Or you just show up, 65th Street. After the service, I think it's at 1.30, right? So uh, anyways, that's just a uh, small detail. We are in a series that we started last week called No Regret Living. It's only a month long. We're in, in, in the month of August, so it's only four weeks, which is the, kind of the question we're posing to help us to have kind of like a clarifying question for us is is what if you only had one month to live, 30 days? So one month to live how would your life look? How would you live your life? And I've been talking to a number of you, like in the hallways and talking, you know, asking you that question. And uh, what I hear is, uh, you know, I'd live, make every day count, you know, I'd live with passion. Maybe you've got a bucket list, you you know, you try to knock out one or two in your bucket list. and, 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 And you know what, I think that's good. We did talk about last week, you know, living passionately, being a risk taker, and uh, and I think those things are important, but we want to talk about something even more deep today. Makes me think of a guy named Tim Nichols from Portsmouth, Virginia. Here's a picture of him. Uh, he is a songwriter, musician, and a member in his family had cancer and had that clarifying question: "I don't have long to live. How will I change my life?" And really change their perspective on how they live. And he kind of walked with his family member through that and decided to write a song about it so a friend of him craig wiseman and him got together they wrote this song called uh, live as though you were gonna die now it's made popular by tim mcgraw and uh in 2004 uh, it became the uh it got the grammy for best country song it also won best song of the year uh in the cmas won a number of awards and in the song, in the course in particular, they talk about, you know, if you didn't have long to live, what would you do? And he, you know, says, so, and it says, well, you know, I'd go skydiving, climb a mountain, ride a bull. But then in the second part of the lyrics, it kind of, instead of just all that bucket list stuff, you know, how would my life change in a meaningful way? How would I live it differently? And so he lists three things that I want to use as. Uh, the template on how we're going to talk about uh, this subject of no regret living. So listen to the chorus and then we'll talk about it,
1: okay? I went skydiving, I went rocky mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a full name. said someday i hope you get a chance to live like we die
0: well good advice good advice i liked it when he talked about hey there's there's some i mean i do the crazy stuff but then there's meaningful stuff that i would want to change on how i live if i really had this perspective of uh, you know i'm going to die you know maybe and so we're kind of putting this you know, 30 days to live because we're just talking about it in 30 days. So, uh, but, but having that mindset. And I think that's important. I as Sharon recently, I said uh, this past week, I said, Sharon, what would you do if you only had 30 days to live? She goes, Well, I'd get my affairs in order. I said, Well, okay, fair enough. But what about after that? She goes, Well, I would spend time with family and friends and, and try to do something meaningful with them. And I think that's the right answer. Uh, we see Jesus doing this. Jesus. Lived a passionate life with his disciples. But when it came to just a few, well, actually just a few hours for him to live, he, he he pulled everybody together, his disciples, and had what we know today as the Last Supper. And he, he put, in this upper room, this secluded room, pulled his team together, said, I want to spend time with you. Jesus knew that the night before Passover would be his last night on earth before leaving this world to return to the Father's side all throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus. So he'd already lived a full life. You know, he demonstrated with deep and tender love for them. He had loved them, cared for them. But this is different now because it has this clarifying element. It says, and now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. Some translations say loved him to the very end. So what would it look like, your life, if you lived with the full measure of love? Fully loved people around you. Well, I think it would be those three things, and that's why I want to talk about it. I think we would love deeper, we'd speak sweeter, and we would offer forgiveness. And so let's use that, again, as our template from this song. First of all is, I think to love fully is to love people deeply. And uh, that specifically means family and friends. You know, unfortunately, so many of us, we are kind and loving to people we don't know very well. You know, To a stranger, we're, you know, we're all kinds of kind, and we do all these things for them. But for people we know, people that are close to us often, we're not nearly as nice. We're not nearly as kind, not nearly as loving, and it shouldn't be that way. And so I really think that if, we only, if you knew you only had a few weeks to live, 30 days to live, you, that would change. You'd say, you know, with these people matter to me they're the ones that are going to miss me anyways you know I was thinking about it this week I was thinking you know if I died uh you know suddenly I wonder who would miss me some of you would miss me for a few days you know (laughs) and you'd get a new pastor soon and then you'd move on right as it should be you're not going to be thinking years from now oh man I really miss that Andy guy no you'd move on and that'd be okay but you know who would say that is my family they, it wouldn't just, they wouldn't just move on. They would really miss me. They care about me. You see, people that are close to us, our family, our close friends, they are vital. And those are the ones that we want to love deeply. Jesus certainly did that with his disciples. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles or the disciples with him and said, you've no idea how much I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you. He's had many meals with these guys. He's had Passover meals with them. But this is different. Why? Because it's the last one. Because it has that clarifying question, I don't have long to live. Before I and he says, because before I enter my time of suffering, it's the last one I'll eat until we all eat together in the kingdom of God. So there's something very, very powerful when we come together and we um, and we and we and we care about the people in our lives and we demonstrate love. And, and if you only had 30 days to live, what would that look like? Well that might mean that you that you go out of your way and talk to somebody you haven't talked to in a while, or or maybe you see each other all the time, but you haven't had a meaningful conversation, so you sit down, and you talk, and you connect, maybe have a family reunion, uh, maybe, you know, you turn the TV off, you know, I mean, you're going to do something to connect, and really look for an opportunity to love somebody. You know, if we're going to live a no-regret life, it means that you're going to have to love people deeply, otherwise, You get to the end of your life, and I've been at the bedside of many people that are at the end of their life. Nobody wishes they had made more money, spent more time at the office, answered more emails. No, it's always I wish I had spent more time in a loving relationship with people that were close to me. And so if you're going to live a no-regret life, you do that now. You do that now instead of waiting until, uh, until it gets to that point. You know, sometimes if it does get to that point... You still have an opportunity to love deeply. Let me tell you about Robertson McQuilkin. He, in 1990, found out that his wife had, was, had advanced, uh, by that point it was advanced Alzheimer's, and she wasn't doing well. Whenever he was there, she did okay. When he was not, she, was, she just was coming unglued. Now, he was the president of, of uh, Columbia International University. He was only 62. He had a lot of mileage left but he couldn't do both. Now he thought about hiring care, but he just knew, and and he'd already done some of that, but it wasn't working. So he decided to resign as president of this university and give full-time care to his wife. And he knew this was going to be hard for people to understand, so he called all the faculty, the staff, all the students together to give his resignation speech. So I have a little bit of it I want you to listen to. Uh, it's. I don't have any video with it, but here is the speech where Robert McQuilkin, he's resigning as president of this, of this post, of this university, in order to care for his wife. Listen to this.
1: I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror, and when she can't get to me, there can be anger she's in distress but when I'm with her she's happy and contented and so I must be with her at all times and you see it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part and I'm a man of my word but as I have said I don't know with this group but I've said publicly it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible so if I cared for her for 40 years I'd still be in debt however there's much more it's not that I have to it's that I get to I love her very dearly and you can tell it's not easy to talk about she's a delight it's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person
0: certainly feels heroic, especially in this day and age. But, you know, it's a, it's always sacrificial to love deeply. There's always a challenge to not do it, to say, is it worth it? Should I do it? What if I don't get repaid back? What if I get taken advantage of? There's always a risk in loving deeply, but it's always worth it. It's always worth it. And so here, at the end of, of last Week's message at the end of each point, and this week as well, I'm giving you some, cl- some questions to think about. I want you to ponder them, I want you to talk to somebody else about them, and then I want you to try to do something about it. And here's the questions I've given you today. If you only had one month to live, with whom would you want to spend time? What would you most want to do together to make lasting memories or to gain rewards in heaven? And so the last part, obviously, is if you're a Christ follower, you have that, you, you believe that that God honors or what we do in this life in heaven. And so, uh, so this is a clarifying question. These are, hey, I don't want to live a life where I have a lot of regret. And when you do these kinds of things, you're going to live a much better life. Number two is speak sweeter, as the song goes. Speak sweeter. I like to talk about it as like sharing my heart. In other words, Jesus said, what comes out of your mouth, is starts in your heart. And so it's a heart issue you know, sharing our heart. And for some of us, we're not that good at it. I'm certainly don't feel, I feel like I'm disabled in that area. I grew up in a home. We didn't really share our hearts. We didn't share our emotions. When I met Sharon, she did. Her home was different. And it's one of the things I love about her and loved about her and just that she's really open with her, her feelings and her her emotions. And I've grown in that area. It's an area I've had to grow in. I could have just said, well, that's not me. I'm not cut from that type of cloth. But it's something I thought, you know, I can grow in that area. And I certainly have a long way to go. Sharon will tell you. That. And I'm still on my pathway of sharing my heart. But it's a pathway that I'm trying to move in. One of the things that's helped me a lot is my small group. Last, for example, last week, or last semester, excuse me, in our small group, just 12 guys, you know, we spent time in some prayer, talking, and, and creating an environment where we could share our hearts with one another because that doesn't naturally happen you go to work you go to the gym you're you know you know your neighbor you don't naturally just share your hearts unless you create that space and uh, that certainly happens with me in my small group when I create that space and create a place where we share what with one another and we have you know s- s- confidential kind of uh, an agreement and just open up and 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 you grow and and in, in depth in that area. Jesus did that with his disciples when he, uh, when the night before he he died, he found a place where he could be together alone, uninterrupted, un- not disturbed, and so he could spend quality time together. That doesn't naturally happen. You create that. You open up your calendar. You create that. Hey, let's do a date night. Hey, let's do something where we go and. Uh, Go do a road trip, and you create quality time. It doesn't just naturally happen. And then not only did Jesus create quality time in the upper room, but he also served them. He saw a genuine need that they had, and he was there to serve them. He was all in. He enjoys an extended meal together. It is the Last Supper, and it's not just uh, bread and wine. I mean, it's a whole meal. And they spend the whole time together eating this meal. After the meal, he then talks to them and prays for them and so it's called the farewell discourse because there's a whole discourse it's the longest passage we have of Jesus talking in the new testament is right there in that time and then he prays for them he sings i don't know if you know that but jesus actually we're actually told jesus sings we don't know he had a good voice you know he might not have he might have applied for the worship team and didn't get on you know we don't know but we do know he sang and i think singing is a great way of sharing a part of yourself for some of us it's easy to do we're proud of it many of us that's not easy to do and so singing uh, i think this is a great season to to start singing if you haven't been a singer because you've got a mask so you can kind of like you know hide behind you know your mask a little bit and people don't know you know if you're singing and all that stuff but uh, i think singing's really important physically close. It says they were actually leaning on each other, so they didn't have social distancing going on. Uh, but they're really close, and they're emotionally close. They're, they share some of that. Uh, they're scared about the future. They know Jesus is, is not going to be with them. He's already warned them. And so he, he encourages them, tells them, gives them a vision for their future that it's going to be good. And he has the death talk. You know, sometimes it's hard for people, many times it's hard for people to have the talk about death when somebody's dying. And I've been with people and said, hey, let's You know, have you thought about your funeral or, you know, what you want it to look like or those kinds of things, and many times they don't want to talk about it. It's like superstitious, like, oh, if you talk about it, it's going to happen, and I'm still trusting that it won't, and well, I'll trust that it won't too, but it might, and eventually we all die. That seems to be something that's pretty common, and so having the death talk is a way of sharing your heart instead of just dying and then leaving it to, you know, it's kind of a selfish thing, actually. Uh, that's my opinion. It's certainly Sharon's opinion. We've dealt with a lot of people who have died over the years that we've been in ministry for 35 years, and it's in my opinion, it's a very selfish thing to do to not think through, you, you know, you, what you want your death and how it, you want it to roll out, and just leave that to people that are grieving, and then they're not really sure. Shares how they can join Him in heaven. That's a loving thing to do. That's sharing from your. He's not going to go to heaven, and they're not sure how, and he's very clear about it. I want you to join me. Here's how you join me in heaven, and he's very clear about that, and then he discusses inheritance. That's part of that death talk, but his inheritance that he talks about is the Holy Spirit, which is way more important than money. I mean, you know, there's some things that we pass on in inheritance that's way more valuable than, than money and property. Often, that's all we think about. Is what's in our trust. That's what's the, the kids get. Listen, if that's all you're giving them is the leftovers of your money and your property, you've you've cheated them. Because they, they deserve something way more valuable than just things and, and money. And and so talking about, you know, values and and in this case, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, that it'll empower them and comfort them, and the Spirit of God will come in them, and they'll know that they have a place in heaven. It's not just a wishful thinking. There's a knower in your spirit because the Holy Spirit's inside you. And it's something that, you, that, that happens when you invite Christ into your life. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he talks about that, and discusses their inheritance, he talks about empowering them, to praise for them. These are the things that are important. Sharing your heart. Creating an environment, a place where you can do that, to uplift somebody, to encourage them. Like I said, a small group's a wonderful place to do that where we, we can share our heart, we can grow in that. Here's the questions I want you to ask. Who needs to be assured that you love them? Make a list of people with whom you would want to share your heart and start telling them how you feel about them now. You don't have to wait. You can start telling them now. I have a friend who's a pastor in our region, and his daughter recently, just last year, went off to college. And so she wrote a paper for one of her classes, and it was about her upbringing. And she really wrote it for them. So when she was done, she gave it to them, and it was her way of sharing, hey, sharing her heart. This is how it felt growing up, in a home, in a Christian home, and in particular, a pastor's home, which is... Uh, so I want to read you. I got permission. I want you to, I want you to l- listen to this, this short essay that she writes. Okay, here she says, Most people know me as a member of different sports teams, especially softball and volleyball, but I am also part of an exclusive elite team that many people do not know about. I am known as a PK or pastor's kid. Growing up, things were different for me. Instead of home being the house on the corner... It was the local church where my parents spread the word of God. Most of my days were spent roaming the long, familiar hallways, making a mess or exploring in different rooms and hiding places. On Sundays, I was the kid greeting guests as they entered and waving and yelling goodbye as they left, hoping they would return the next Sunday. Week after week, year after year, I attended Sunday school where my mom taught my closest friends and me about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. The different Bible stories that taught me resilience, trust, and strength will be permanently etched into my mind. So after many years, I've evolved into an adult sitting in the seats, being inspired, encouraged, and uplifted as my dad passionately delivers his Christian message. Amazingly, I call my pastor Dad. I now realize after 18 short years that this church is one of the best things that has ever happened to me. It has given me consistently strong mentors who have shaped me into the strong, independent woman that I am today. I have a dad who has always been there to pick me up when I am at my lowest and celebrate with me when I hit my peaks. I also have a mom who has selflessly put my siblings and me and even the church before herself without giving it a second thought. This church community has given me a family of resilient brothers and sisters who are always there to push me in school, sports, and life. Lastly, I have a better sense of who I am, but I also recognize there is more to me than I could have ever known. I realize that I have been made to step up as a leader, evidenced by my role as a teacher in the Sunday school where I take what I have learned in the past and passionately share it with the next generation. At one point in my life, I felt like being a pastor's kid was a curse because my parents' attention was not centered around me. Running church on Sundays meant that my parents missed events like softball tournaments, and I selfishly thought I was being neglected. I now realize that without those moments, I would not be where I am today. At an an early age, I had to learn to rely on myself and to be confident enough to perform without my parents around. Looking back, I am grateful that my parents followed their calling from God. To some, church may be a building with chairs and rooms where they worship God once a week. To me, church... Is my childhood, my family, and an indelible part of the woman that I am today. I love that because she shared from her heart, but she also decided to take the high road. How many of you know? I don't know her that well. I do know her, but how do you know? How many of you know that she probably had some negative things that she didn't put in there? You know, there's, we all have that, and we choose pathways. We choose how we're going to share our heart. We choose to open up and to and to and think, "Hey, how can I?" share my heart, be true to myself, but also help encourage other people. And it really is how we perceive things does shape a lot of uh, how we live those things out. And so some of you, you've been bringing your kids to church. And you're, and my prayer for you is you'll get a letter like that someday. Maybe it might not be exactly like that. Maybe it might not be, uh, you know, an email or a, a report for a school project. But some, at some point, they'll share their heart and say, Mom, Dad, thank you. Grandma, Grandpa, thank you for st- keeping me going to church even when I didn't want to and, and letting me uh, experience uh, the community and the mentorship and all the things that she so well described there. All right? So love deeper. We want to speak sweeter. And then also give forgiveness. And I, I, I added that part in because I like that lyric that he had in there where it's where he says, you know, you know somebody needs forgiveness and you just haven't been given it. You've been holding back. And, and I think we all have that. There's, there's, a part, there's somebody who's hurt us that they just don't deserve it. And it's true. You know, forgiveness, they don't deserve forgiveness. This is part of the reason we don't give it freely. We think to ourselves, they're not deserving. But Jesus makes it very clear when you look at his teachings on forgiveness that forgiveness is about us. That it's a poison that we ingest when we have unforgiveness. And that it ruins our lives. It causes regrets. It destroys relationships. It sucks the joy and the peace out of life. And and Jesus says, you give forgiveness. That's why you can forgive somebody who is dead. They're deceased. You're going, well, it's too late. No, it's not. Because it's not about them. You can forgive somebody who has hurt you and they're not even in your life anymore. And so forgiveness is an important part. Now, if you can reach them, I think there's some lots of value, but sometimes that just doesn't work. But I do think there's a lot of value. Now, Jesus talks, te- teaches about forgiveness, for example, in the Lord's Prayer. We all know this, right? It says, Our Father in, in heaven, who hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then what? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he goes on with the rest of it, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, most of that prayer is is not that hard to pray, right? You want to, God, give me my needs that I have today, whether it's bread or whatever it is. Lord, uh, I want the kingdom of God in my life. I want heaven opened up. Lord, help me to not be tempted. I mean, those prayers are n- not that challenging, but this one part in that prayer is. God, Forgive me as I forgive others. And so there's a connection. It's not just help me to forgive. It's Jesus makes a clear connection that I only get forgiveness from God in the same way that I forgive others. That's challenging. He knows that. So the very next thing he does, he explains a part of that part of the prayer. He doesn't take anything else in the prayer. But the next verse, he says, for if you forgive. So he knows that that's a trip up in that prayer. And so he explains that if you forgive, People, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. So it's again, it's connected. He says, but if you do not forgive, you don't get forgiveness. So he says, when we build a bridge and forgive somebody, that's the very same bridge that God uses to forgive us. We don't like to look at it that way, but that's what Jesus says. He says, hey, that forgiveness is vital. In fact, it's connected to God. God, how we forgive others is connected to how God forgives us. Jesus says, "And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins." That's it's really tough to forgive. I have people that have hurt me very bad, and and very you know it's it's hard, and 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 I and sometimes it feels like you know I, I, I climb I scale that mountain I get over it and then all of a sudden wow there's another. <laughs> You know, there's another part that's going on that I still have to work through, and working through forgiveness is really, I think, miraculous. I think it's something God does in our in our soul, because we can't, in my experience, we can't do it on our own. We just don't have the wherewithal. We don't have the emotional ability to forgive people that have deeply wounded us, and so it's very, very difficult. And so it's it's comparable. To, it's a it's a full on miracle, comparable to anything else. So we pray for God's strength, God's mercy, help God God. Come and help me to see the value of forgiveness. Here's some questions that I want you to ponder. If you had one month to live, this is a good time to have that clarifying question. From whom would you ask for forgiveness? I had somebody come up to me after the 915 service just now. And she said she reached out to somebody that had hurt her a lot. And she sent a message to him. He happened, she didn't know it, but he happened to be on his deathbed, and he got the message right before he died. I thought, well, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, she listened to the Holy Spirit. She moved out. I'm not sure all what God's doing in that, but there's other people involved. Who do you need to forgive? And then write an email. Make the call. Do something. It's, it's a very powerful thing when we forgive. Very, very powerful. Corey Tamboom tells the story. She's the one who was in the Nazi concentration camp. She, was, she, was, she, she went there to, because she was helping hide Jews. She wasn't Jewish, but she was getting the same punishment of them. And she was horribly abused. She was sexually abused, all kinds of things from these different guards. When World War II was over, she was standing. She was leading uh, these conferences, and, and, and she noticed in the front row one of the SS guards that had horribly abused her. And God spoke to her and said, are you going to forgive this guy? Because he can't come to Christ if you don't. And so she did. She was able, she, she, at the end he came up, she forgave him, he got on his knees, he received Christ. That's hard, to, that's, that's miraculous. You don't just do that. That's God doing something. But it, it reverberates. When we're able to forgive, like Jesus forgave. You know, Jesus forgave when he was on the cross, the very people who crucified him. He didn't do anything wrong. He was crucified. You know, from the cross, we see this model of how to live and how to die. When Jesus, first of thing, we see that Jesus is at peace. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, when we forgive, it gives us peace in our life. Some of you, you're, you're looking for peace. You'll only find it when you forgive. And then God's peace will flood into your heart. You're just done with that. You're just done with that. And you don't have to hold on to that any longer. Not only did he have peace, but he wasn't afraid to die. So many of us, we're, or probably all of us, have a little residual part. We're afraid to die. We don't like talking about it. We don't like thinking about it. Jesus says, truly today you will be with me in paradise to the thief on the cross. So he's not afraid to die. He's, he's securing himself. He knows where he's going. He died with no unreconciled relationships. Nothing hanging out there. Nothing left to be done. Even his mother who needed to be cared for. He was the eldest son. Joseph, his stepfather, was out of the picture. It was his job to care for him. On the cross, he makes sure that his mother is cared for. So one of his disciples, John, he says, hey, I need you to take care of my mom. No unreconciled relationships. He verbalizes his needs. He's got. I mean, he's dying. He's being crucified. And he has physical thirst. And so he says, I thirst. Short words, because crucifixion is really Death by suffocation. The only way you can breathe is by pushing up on the spike that's in your feet. And so he only says short things with well, this one of them. And he expresses a physical need that he has, but he doesn't actually drink. They offer him some kind of vinegar, gall mixture that numbs the pain, but he didn't, he didn't take that because he was going there for the pain. He was being crucified for, for our behalf because of, the sin, because of our sin. He wasn't angry or bitter. You know how many people live a life filled with anger and bitterness? And by the way, depression is anger turned inward. And so today we understand depression a lot more, but you have depression, anger, bitterness, all that stuff sucking the life out of you. Jesus, when he, here he is in excruciating agony, feeling distant from God, doesn't understand it. And in the moment he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not a statement of anger. That's quoting Psalm 22, 1. He's relying on what he's read in Scripture. I don't understand it all, but I know because that verse in, in Psalm 22 talks about hey, there's something bigger going on. God has my back. He's going to watch over me, even in my pain. He understood and fulfilled his purpose. We talk a lot about that here at Vineyard that you need to know your purpose. That's why we do Growth Track. If you haven't taken Growth Track, that is your next step. We want to help you to understand it because if you don't understand it, you can't fulfill it. And so we do that in, in, in step one, step two, step three, step four. That's why we do it so often. We do it right after every service, after every week, after every month, every year. We do growth track. And you just jump in at any point. And you say, hey, I want to I figure this out because it's important. You have an assignment from God. You really do. God wants to use you, and he has an assignment for you. And it's connected to how he's wired you. And we want to help you figure that out. Jesus understood. He said, in this, when he said, it is finished, that Greek word, tetelestai, means it's complete. I had a mission. I understood it. I fulfilled it. That's, if you want to live a life without regrets, you need to know your God-given assignment. You need to know your purpose and then fulfill it. He knew where he's going. There was no doubt for him, no unclarity he knew where he was going that way he could also help other people get there. "Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Great ways to live. Certainly, great ways to die if you want to live a no-regret life. Let me close with this from the song, "I love deeper." Not just the bucket list, not just the adrenaline rush and all of those things, but in the pe- especially people around me, my love, I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. I shared my heart. I grew in that area. I was vulnerable. I was transparent. And I forgave people, especially those I've been denying. And it's in that, when I think when we do those things and we do those things with our full energies, our heart, you'll have a no-regret life. When you, you can be assured when you get to the end of your life. You can look back and say, I did it, I did it well, I did it right. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we just take this moment here these next two or three minutes, just give them to you, Lord, do you, you do something miraculous. All of us here we're just we just come with our own frailties, our own habits and hang-ups, and none of us really have any, any magic wand. We're dependent upon you, God. So, Lord, we invite you right now into this space. Lord, I pray for those here who need to love more deeply. Some of you have been deeply hurt. You went out on a limb. You trusted somebody with your close secrets, with your, with your tender emotions, with those things that are so important to you, and maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they used that information in some way to hurt you. Maybe it's, maybe, you, there's a lot of people that do that. And you can then just say, you know what, that's too risky, that's too painful, but you will live with Regrets. And so right now, before God, would you say, God, help me to start to love again, love deeply, to trust, to open my heart up. Would you say, God, help me to share from my heart. Some of you need to reach out to somebody. There's somebody who you need to reach out. You need to send a message. You need to send an email. You need to make a phone call and encourage them. Reach out in some way, maybe offer forgiveness. You say, God, help me to offer forgiveness so that I don't have that stuff rattling around in my own soul. If you've never asked Christ into your life, that's the bridge Jesus uses to come into your life. You say, because it makes us really aware of our own weaknesses. You go to God and you say, God, I've, I've sinned and I need forgiveness. My friends, that's really the source. You want a well that you can drink from to offer forgiveness? Be aware of your own sinfulness before a holy God. Just go to God and say, God, I need forgiveness. I don't even hold up my own expectations, much less the ones you have for me. So Lord, you sent your son Jesus Christ on my behalf to die on the cross so that I don't have to pay For my sins. You did it for me. And then just invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Just say right now, in Jesus' name, would you say, come into my heart. Would you say, Holy Spirit, come and live with me, empower me. I want to live an empowered life, a life with hope, a life with power, a life with encouragement. Say, God, I want to follow you to the best of my ability. Today, I make a decision for you. Jesus, I want to be a follower of you. In Jesus' name, amen.